right. Good morning. Good to see you. Yes, let's praise God together. I'll tell you, um, this is obviously a monumental day in the life of our church. For the past six and a half years or so, we have been meeting over in Westwood. And so for us to be relocating, replanting into this building is such a huge uh, day for us. And um, before I get into my message, I want to begin by just, uh, just praising God. I want to celebrate what he is doing in us and in, in the life of our church to, for us to be here this morning. And, and, and I want to say thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you to our church. I want to say thank you to everyone who has been a part of what's been going on here at Reach Life Church in order to get us to uh, this auditorium here at A.C. Reynolds High School and be replanted in East Asheville. And I just want to thank everyone who has given financially to make this happen. And then everyone who has been praying with us, we, we have uh, seen the Lord work in many ways in our midst, and I know that a lot of that is through the prayers of his people. I also want to thank everyone who has helped out physically. Uh, even if you thought we were meeting at 1030 and, and, and it ended up being 12 o'clock. But anyway, uh, that's an inside joke with one person in this room. But I uh, just want to thank everyone who helped with the move. And I want to, uh, Pastor Terry and I are so grateful for this church and want to give a, uh, a huge special shout out to a, a few people in this room or at least in this building who have gone above and beyond. I want to thank the Kings. Uh, I want to thank the Mahaffeys, uh, the Hargroves. I want to thank the Tabers. I want to thank my wife. And I want to thank uh, a huge thanksgiving to Boaz. Uh, nice song. He has, uh, yes, please give all of them uh, thanks. Especially give Boaz a big hug. Uh, he, is, he is really, a lot of the stuff uh, that has happened, uh, he, uh, the, the graphics and the way that things are looking, orchestrating him and Mary Beth and the whole team. Just be sure to thank them this morning. But I just, I really want to express uh, my love and my gratitude for this church. Um, this is not something that I or Terry can do by ourselves. And um, I, I'm just so grateful. Just seeing you show up, uh, seeing your presence, seeing you come alongside and then sacrificially give yourselves to help replant this church in this community. Um, Ministry is hard, isn't it? And I'm not just talking about pastoral ministry. I'm talking about we're all ministers if we're disciples of Jesus. And it's difficult to minister, but there is so much joy when we come together and we serve together sacrificially. And it's, it's the way that God designed the church to be and to step up and to lighten the load. And so I, I really am encouraged by uh, what's happened so far. We're just like, this is our first Sunday here in the community, and I'm looking forward to see what God is going to do in us and what he is going to do through us as we seek to, to be, make, grow, and unleash gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. So thank you, and uh, I look forward to seeing what God is going to do in the future. All right, now my sermon. Here we go. Uh, throughout this year, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in this uh, teaching series series called The Big Picture, where our goal as pastors, as a church, is to 
preached through all 66 books of the Bible to preach overview messages so that, that as we are studying the Word of God, we can have a basic understanding of how each book contributes to the overall storyline of the Bible. And the, the storyline ultimately points to a person, to the wor- finished work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what our, our goal is. Today we are going to be in First and Second Chronicles. And because today marks a, a new beginning for our church family, I just want to just say up front that today's message is going to be slightly different than what it's been in the past because I'm going to start, I plan to start in Chronicles, but we're going to jump over to the book of Jeremiah. And hopefully you will see uh, by the end of this message that that makes perfect sense based upon today being our first Sunday here at A.C. Reynolds High School. So uh, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible... If you ever tried to read through the Bible, can you just raise your hand and let me know that? Okay, most of us have tried to read through the Bible. I'm not going to ask you, have have any of you not been able to do that? Because I've started many times and not been able to finish. But a lot of times when you're going through reading the Bible, when you come to the book of Chronicles, you might be tempted to to just skip over it for two two basic reasons. Number one, when you come to uh, the, the first nine chapters of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, you see that they are straight-up genealogies. 407 verses full of genealogies. I want to look at just the first nine verses here. Um, This is just the first nine verses of chapter 1. And I highlighted two names that most people, I think, in this room would know, Adam and Noah. But then once you start reading the names that go further on, we're, we're not quite often connected to who they are. And therefore, to us, it can seem maybe boring or irrelevant. But these names that are found in the first nine chapters of Chronicles are significantly important. They were significantly and still are significantly important to the Jewish people because it's through these genealogies that they trace their lineage or their heritage back from Adam to King David. And... Uh, it also is important to us because we're able to, tra- to trace the lineage of our messianic king, Jesus, from Adam up, up to, to, um, to David. And if you are reading through the Bible, I want to give you a Bible reading tip that has to do with genealogies. When you're seeking to, to read through big chunks of the scriptures, I'm not talking about you're studying scripture, but you're wanting to get big chunks of it. I want to encourage you that when you come to a long list of genealogies, just breeze over it. Skip over it, maybe, even. Uh, It's not cheating. Some of y'all are thinking, well, that's cheating. It's kind of like the guy I met on the Appalachian Trail several years ago. I was um, out there for two or three nights, and he was going from Maine all the way down to Georgia, and he wanted to hike the entire trail, and we were hiking, and we came to where the Appalachian Trail went this way, about 200 yards, and there was this other trail that went straight through to our campsite. And so I, I was going to go through this, this shortcut, and he's like, no, I'm not taking that one. I want to say that I went through the entire trip. And I get that. He didn't want to cheat. But let me just tell you, it's better to, it's not cheating, but it's better to cheat than to let it stop you from going all the way through the Scriptures. So I just encourage you just to skip over that and keep going in, in, the, in the passage. And that's just a Bible tip that might help you get through the Scriptures. Secondly, the second reason that people might want to skip Chronicles is because if once you get into it, 
you'll notice that it has a lot of rep uh, repetitive content that has already been shared in Samuel and Kings. And, and the reason that this is, is because it was written during the time when the Jewish exiles were returning home to Jerusalem to build the walls. Now, if you don't know what that, the exile is, uh, we're going to get into that in just a minute, but they were, they were out of Jerusalem for 70 years. And so as they were moving back, Chronicles was chronicled probably by Ezra, and it was chronicled for the purpose to help Israel to look back at their history and to remember that God is faithful so that it would help them to move forward as they, were, as they were getting ready to prepare to build the wall. By God's grace, we're going to talk more about Ezra and Nehemiah next week. But it's important for us to understand that this book was written to bring encouragement and to point once again to God's faithfulness. And that's something that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. If you're going through a difficult time, a difficult season, like many of us are in this room, it's good to look back when you were in a time that God was faithful to bring you through. And it helps you to keep going forward in the future, in the present and in the future. And so the first nine chapters of Chronicles, like I said, are a list of genealogies. And then chapters 10 through 29, they focus primarily on King David's reign, of how he was a good and faithful king. That goes to the end of First Chronicles. And one of the major themes before we move on to 2 Chronicles, that we need to see in 1 Chronicles is the theme that is, uh, that's known as the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant. It's found in 1 Chronicles 17. Now, I know I'm giving a lot of kind of like heady knowledge right now, but there, there's a purpose in this. So just please stay with me in this. Um, if we're going to understand the rest of Scripture, if we're going to understand the rest of the Old Testament, we need to understand the Davidic Covenant. Covenant that's found in chapter 17. And basically what happens in chapter 17 is David, King David, sees the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle in a tent. And he doesn't like that because he's living in a house of cedar. And he says, I want to build God, I want to build you a house of cedar. And basically what God says to him is, thank you, but if I wanted that, I would have asked for it. I don't need that. Instead of you building me a house, I am going to build you a house. And let's look at what he says in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 11. He says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before him. Verse 14 says, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now, we know that Solomon partially fulfilled this prophecy. But we also know that this prophecy refers to Jesus. And the Lord promises David that one of his descendants would one day rule forever in a kingdom that will remain forever. And so what we need to, the reason I'm bringing this out right now is because from this point on, 
the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, begins looking to see who this king, when this king is going to come. You know, even today, practicing Orthodox Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah. Now, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy, but even Orthodox Jews are still looking to the Davidic covenant, waiting for this king to come. And initially, it looked like maybe Solomon would be that king, but as we saw last week, in the end, he turned away from the Lord. And sadly, this is the pattern, once you get into Second Chronicles, that you see all the way throughout the rest of the book. There, are, there were a few kings who sought to follow the Lord and to bring revival, but for the vast majority of, of David's kingly descendants, they, ne- they, they ne- neglect God's word, and they lead God's people into idol worship and greater and greater wickedness until finally God says, okay, enough. Enough. And in 2 Chronicles 36, this is the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, verse 14, we're going to read about the exile. What happened that led God to lead them into exile? It says in verse 14, All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. He wanted his people to repent, to return to, to him. Verse 16 says, But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. It's like the house of Judah is like a house without a roof that's being rained on and all the insulation and drywall is getting moldy. Termites are eating it up. And it comes to a point in a structure when, when that happens that that building has to be condemned. It has to be torn down. And that's the state of Judah. And so verse 17 says, Therefore the Lord brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. Now, the king of the Chaldeans, we know him as the Babylonian king known as King Nebuchadnezzar. History teaches that this, what I'm about to read, occurred in 586 B.C. It said, He killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and, the, and, of, his princes, and of his princes, all these he brought to, to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. And here's here's the exile right here in verse 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So for 70 years, the Jewish people lived as exiles in Babylon. And so if you've ever read the stories about 
Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace or if you've ever uh, read about Esther, the book of Esther, which by the grace of God we're going to be able to look at that in two weeks. These narratives, these historical true narratives took place during this season, this 70-year season while the children of Israel were in, ex in exile. And, and this is where I want to uh, take some time and, and turn the corner and discuss this idea of being an exile and how it relates to us, Reach Life Church, as disciples of Jesus. And as, you've, uh, as you probably already know, uh, to live in exile, that means that you are being forced to reside in a foreign land that you don't want to be in. You want to be back in your homeland, but you're being forced to live in another land. And in Babylon, the Jews are there, as we just saw, against their will. And they, are, and they went from being the majority in Jerusalem to the minority. And they are being forced to live in a, in a new culture surrounded by foreign gods. And, you know, as disciples of Jesus in 2023, we can relate to this, can't we? As being the minority. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised. This has been ever since the, the church has been on the face of the earth. In the New Testament, we are referred to as being in exile. Philippians 3 verse 20 says this, speaking to the church, speaking to those who are disciples of Jesus, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 13, 14 says, for here... Speaking of this world, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so, you know, like the exiles in Babylon, like these Jewish exiles, we should be longing for the Messianic kingdom to come. We should be longing for Jesus to come. I don't know how many times... I have to stop when I'm in life. You know, I want life to be perfect. No trials, no difficulties. Amen? And I have to keep saying, wait, I'm not there yet. The kingdom's coming, and it's in here, but it's not everywhere yet. And so when, and when, and so when the Jews came to Babylon... There were two basic mindsets that they had to, to work through. Number one, they could resist Babylon and isolate themselves. Or they could surrender and assimilate. Be Jewish on the outside, but inwardly be Babylonian. And, you know, history teaches us that initially those who were deported to Babylon, fearing that they might surrender and become Babylonian, they sought to live in isolation. They, they sought to live outside of Babylon. And this is, the reason they were doing this is because they had prophets telling them, you know what, you're only going to be here for a couple of years, and then we're going back to Jerusalem, which was not true. So God sends a letter through the prophet Jeremiah. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, 
in verse 1. I want to read it to you. Uh, it's something that would have been extremely shocking to a Jew in that day. Jeremiah 29, verse 1 says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here it is. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. These are the words of God spoken to his people. Here's what he tells them. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Then in verses 8 through 9, God basically rebukes the prophets and said, don't listen to those prophets who told you you're going home soon. That is not true. He says, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. 70 years I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Speaking of Jerusalem. For I know, and this is one of the most uh, famous verses in the Bible. A lot of times it's misquoted. But I'm gonna, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And so from this letter that was written by Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. I want to, to examine three mindsets that I believe that we, Reach Life Church, need to adopt as we are replanting here in the Reynolds community if we are to live as faithful exiles in our community. You know, because as exiles, uh, we can still have the wrong mindset. We can either choose to isolate or we can choose to assimilate. But there's a third way that we're going to look at here this morning. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing that God tells his people is this. Settle in and prosper. Verse 5, he says, build houses. He says, plant gardens, have families, multiply there, and do not decrease. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, listen, I know you inwardly don't want to be here. I know inwardly you want to go back to Jerusalem. But I want you to make Babylon your home. And, you know, though we long for the kingdom that is ruled by Jesus, we have to resist the temptation to live here as tourists. To isolate ourselves from the community in which we live. There is a temptation to do that. Just have our Christian club and hang out together. I love what John Piper says about this, about being exiles and being in the community. He says, being exiles does not mean being cynical. It does not mean being indifferent or uninvolved. 
The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can, it saves and seasons. Where it can't, it weeps. And the light of the world does not withdraw, saying, good riddance to godless darkness. It labors to illuminate, but not dominate. I love that. We're we're not here to dominate. We're not here to take over by force. We are here to illuminate. Illuminate what? To illuminate Jesus. We are here to help people see who Jesus really is. That is a, a wonderful calling, isn't it? A privilege to be able to illuminate Jesus and give them the opportunity to decide whether they want to follow him or not. I, I love what Tim Keller said about this. He said, we're not to be like tourists who consume, but rather we are to become a part of the economic and social fabric of the community. We're to settle in and prosper. That means we need to learn how to build friendships. We're not here to count numbers. The kingdom of God is about relationships, right? One relationship at a time. Building friendships. And you know what I have found over the years is that it takes somewhere between four to six years to build true relationships with people where people will learn to trust you. Um, It it takes that to to build community where people will trust you enough to open up. So every time you come into a community, whether it's a city, whether it's a new job, whether it's a church, and you come in and uh, you basically are, are pressing the reset button from wherever you were before and you're starting over. And so what I want to encourage our church to do is as we are seeking God, as we are praying, that we will think long-term. We will think long-term. We will, this is one of the things we used to say when we planted the church seven years ago. We need to think like an oak tree. Slow, steady, relational growth. A weed grows up quickly, and then it's easily chopped down. We want to be steadily growing in the gospel. So we need to think long-term and how we can settle in and prosper in this community without isolating ourselves. So God tells his people to settle in and prosper. The second thing he says, he says, remember your identity as God's chosen people. That's important, to remember who you are in God. Verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. What he's saying here, I believe, in part, is that as you are settling in, don't forget who you are. Don't become Babylon. Be in Babylon. Be in the world, but not of the world But don't forget who you are. You are my chosen people. He says, and I haven't forgotten you. It may feel like it, 
but I still have plans for you. And so while they were being uh, to be resident exiles, they were also to live as faithful ambassadors. Faithful ambassadors. Now, you know that if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that that's a word that we like to use here to see ourselves as ambassadors. And you, and you know that an ambassador is someone who lives in a foreign country while representing another. That, that's what an ambassador is. And a good ambassador knows how to speak the language of both countries, right? And is able to move within the cultures of the other country. But at the same time, they are never to forget or forsake the values and interests of their native country. That's what God's calling us to be, ambassadors. And, and so we want to be a church that is culturally engaged. We want to engage culturally. We want to be culturally relevant while remaining true to Jesus. And another way to say that is we want to be a, a young, contemporary, and relevant church that teaches old things. Um, the message of the gospel is, is, is that thing that we would call old. We're not going to change that. We're not going to change his, the, the, the account of his life, of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his return. That, is, that message is the old things that we will never change. But we, don't, uh, we, we also don't want to compromise on the word of God. We want to teach the full counsel of the word of God. But the way that we package it, the way that we deliver it, that's the, the part that we have to be cultural, culturally relevant in. And the ways that we speak, the ways that we live must be relatable. They must be relevant to our current culture. And so what I'm calling us to churches, is, this is a learning curve right now uh, as we move into a community. We, we've got to learn what it looks like to enjoy and participate in activities within uh, this community alongside of those who are outside of the church because we want to hopefully be able to build bridges with people. Why? Because we want to help them. Once again, we want to help them see who Jesus really is. But all the while, we, we cannot forget that we are resident exiles. That our citizenship is in heaven. And so God told his people, settle in. He said, remember your identity. And the third thing he told them was, pray for and help the community to flourish. Verse 7 says, and I think that this is the verse that the Jews would have had the hardest time with. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to, into exile and pray to the Lord this is, this is it right here. On its behalf. For in its welfare you shall find your welfare. Now that word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. It, a lot of times uh, you may think it means just simply peace. And it, it, it does mean peace, but it's, it means more than that. It means uh, full. It means thriving and, and flourishing. And so while the Jews, they would have been accustomed to seeking uh, and praying for the shalom of God to be upon Israel, to be upon Jerusalem, to pray that the shalom of God would be upon Babylon, their enemies, they had just taken them into captivity, and God's saying, pray that, that I'll bless them. They are in captivity. They're, they're, they are, they're to, you know what they're, they're, they're supposed to do? 
They're to pray that their enemies will prosper. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus teach us that? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And here's the character of God. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And the good thing about this is that Jesus doesn't just tell us what to do. He came down and he demonstrated it. He left his homeland, didn't he? But it wasn't against his will. He did it willingly. And instead of uh, isolating himself and keeping himself uh, pure from sinners, for 33 years he settled in and he prospered among us. But he didn't assimilate, and give in to the culture. He stayed faithful and true to the Father. And he also sought our good. He sought our welfare. And you know, in an individualistic driven society, the society that we live in, we have a weapon known as the gospel. And the true gospel is so attractive because it teaches us to love our enemies. It teaches us to seek the good of others. It teaches us to serve others above ourselves for Jesus' sake. And the only reason that we can do that or do that is because that's what Jesus did for us. John Piper, again, he says this. He says, the greatness of Christian exiles is not success, but service. Whether we win or lose, we witness to the way of truth, beauty, and joy. I love this next uh, sentence. We don't own culture, and we don't rule it. We serve it with broken-hearted joy and long-suffering mercy. Why? For the good of man and the glory of Jesus Christ. Reach Life Church, that's what I see our church being in this community. It's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be impossible without us walking with the Lord without him empowering us by his spirit. But I know that that is his will. I know that that is his desire. So he will empower us if we are willing to believe. And we're called to live a sacrificial, life-giving life, to be a New Testament church for the good of man and the glory of Jesus Christ. And again, we get the privilege of helping people see the truth about who Jesus really is. And by God's grace, there are going to be people who see his glory, his beauty, his forgiveness, being able to come back to the Father, come back to God, and they're going to bow their knee to Jesus. And we're going to get to rejoice with them in this community. Amen? Amen.